Welcome to Upward Together. By joining us, you are entering a community built upon exploration, respect, and non-judgment. We aren't sure where our musings will take us, but we thank you for stopping by. This week, Upward Together welcomed our first guest, Kiona Medina, a Colombian-born, San Francisco Bay Area-based interdisciplinary artist, heartful facilitator, and co-creator with a master's degree in expressive arts therapy. The three of us had an enlightening conversation. Hearing the perspective of a third person was energizing, and we cannot wait to have more guests add to our musings. So without any further ado, thanks for stopping by. Love everyone, and welcome to Upward Together. Kind of why we want to do this brainstorming thing before we start is um, I think it's a really cool thing to adhere to the guest. Um, I know some guests who like to drive the conversation. And I love some. I know some guests who would prefer to have questions asked for them. Um, and you never want to guess which one it is. So it's really cool to figure out your sort of conversational style so that Josh and I can hopefully be chameleons and adapt. Um, and hopefully we're better. Hopefully I'm good at that now. I'm trying to listen better. Josh has always been good at it. I try to model after him. But being able to adapt to listen to you and with that being said that means we also want to know what you love to talk about what you love to think about um and just trust that josh and i will naturally have questions about what you love um and that's kind of how the conversation will go it's pretty fluid it's as if we were at a dinner table talking um but you were the center of attention obviously josh and i are not going to be just like mute we'll offer our own thoughts but like the center (laughs) is you because that makes sense um just to try to bring as many different stories out into the world as we possibly can um, and bring that to light. Um, And yeah. So Kiona, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you love to do, your history and why you are where you are now. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me, for connecting with me and for sharing the ways that or connections continue to expand now through Josh. So awesome to meet you virtually. Um, So, and then I want to add to the format or to the structure or whatever intention you uh, made. Uh, As far as the dinner table goes, I'm curious about what Upward Together is about. I saw the video that you posted and uh, it's very cool. And I also want to ask you to, I want to interview you too about your vision of this and what what you're holding with that, like, you know, what, what your intentions are with that and and maybe how I, you know, fit in with, with that vision. So um, I am an interdisciplinary artist. Um, that's the big word of saying how my focus, my essence is not so much in projects uh, as much as I like to do them, but on how I live and how I uh, embody and express myself and choose my, um, yeah, how I engage in life. So I think that's a big, I want to start with that because when people hear the word artist, they usually think of, you know, a a creation, like something that you have, a, a painting, a music project or a sculpture or something. And I think that there's something to say about being an artist that is just in the way that we live and in the way that we engage with life that is an artist's lifestyle and it's an artist's way. Um, anyway, that that's a, that's a big chunk of me uh, as far as my identity goes. And I do have a master's in expressive arts therapy. So that has to do with 
how healing is framed. And so, again, I like to redefine uh, certain words. So artist is one, healer is another one. And I define that as co-creator. So I see myself as a participant in, in the healing process or in the creative process uh, with a faith-based approach. And I'm a heartful facilitator, which is the third part of how I like to uh, provide groups or spaces with a heart or a way of uh, being from essence instead of from doing. So I like to commit to my own emotional, spiritual, physical nourishment, and the rest is a side effect of that. Uh, so that's a big of a compacted intro, but... Yeah, want to start with that. Yeah. Uh, also, Josh is Catholic. I'm Catholic, and you're Catholic. I guess that kind of makes sense, considering you have my role. Um, but what what role does faith play? I almost said, if any. What role does faith, if any, play in your life, Kiona? And just so we know exactly how to engage with something like that. Is the engine, the the center, the core, the, and it wasn't always like that. So this whole uh, reframe is very recent, as of a year ago, where uh, maybe it was the oil in my life. Now it's the engine. <laughs> so um, that that's a way of how it's driving the rest of me. Did you did you grow up Catholic? I did. I grew up Catholic and I uh, I grew up in, I was born in, in Colombia and I came to the States when I was 11. And uh, part of my adolescent and young adult life has also been involved around the church and groups and ministries. And you would think that that's engineer enough <laughs> or center enough. Um, but I guess the, 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 how it's become now even more of that is as a way of just having a authenticity and, connection with the sacraments that that makes it so that i'm more childlike or like more dependent instead of adult-like as i grow older um there's this thing called you know spiritual infancy and i want to continue to be completely dependent on god through the sacraments and and i want to make that the norm or like the the standard the default uh, as far as what maturity could look like what self-efficiency could look like do you work with people from different faith backgrounds or do you primarily work in your expressive arts therapy work with people who are also Catholic? I work with everybody. Uh, so that is a big, uh, I don't want to say challenge, but that for now it's, it's a big, um, good exploratory juicy way of how do I translate this engine to all other models of cars that are out there? <laughs> and how do I translate mm -hmm. this this passion that I have for this childlike infancy sacramental life to secular talk and 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 being an artist comes into the into the ben the biggest benefit of that translation. Like I get to come up with metaphors and with images and with songs and with you know ways of explaining this uh, that could land on folks. And sometimes I take it too far, but it's a it's a balance you know how do you how do you translate god uh in the day-to-day -day life yeah i like that actually i'm gonna write that down after this like how do you translate god in your day-to-day -day life because uh, god kind of tra god kind of presents himself very differently to each person so you can't just i mean i imagine it's 
exactly like therapy or exactly like medicine where it's like you can't just uh, i guess like do a catch-all sort of solution for everybody each person is tailored differently um and so what works for somebody else like some people really love the scripture and the theology of it and going into the history and the depth and some people really really love the community aspect some people really love the internal independent rosary prayer. Some people like to do completely alternative ways, alternative to the Christian ways of praying or, or uh, bringing God into their life. Um, there are just so many unique ways to be one with yourself and be one with the higher power um, that I think, yeah, figuring out how to translate that is crucial. Crucial. In, in what ways have you found success connecting with people who maybe come from different faith backgrounds or potentially from an agnostic or atheistic background who have more of a worldly view or, or spiritual, but with no um, kind of central divine figure, uh, specifically in, in the therapy space or um, kind of the heartful space that you create? Thank you for for that question. About a few months ago, I needed to give a workshop. I called them heart shops. I need to give a heart shop to uh, teachers. And I work a lot in the educational setting. And um, I wanted them to, uh, to, to, oh, I want to share, I wanted to give some offerings around self-awareness. And so I framed it as self-aware nest, as, as an actual nest. And and then that metaphor took off with all the parts of a nest and the ecosystem and the tree and this and that. And meanwhile, the 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 deeper or like the, the rooted part of uh, that in, that image has to do with the center of the nest. Uh, there's a part in that in that offering where I had them write "I am" in the center, and then do like some sort of concentric circles around their identity. And "I am" is the name is the, is the Hebrew name of God. But I don't say that in the secular heart shop that I'm giving to public school teachers. I'm saying just write I am in the center and then do your thing around it. So I, I guess what I'm saying is how um, for me, that's that's my my center. That's my love. That's my fuel. And the way that I'm giving it off is as this metaphor, or this you know exercise or this way that applies to anybody, whether they're religious or not. But uh, in some cases, I do explain, like, oh, by the way, this means this uh, in this language. And some people take it as, oh, that's cool. That's a cool fact. Um, but it, is, it has, I think, I think it has a way of landing on, on folks according to where they're at in their spiritual life. Um, and again, the, the offering can be, this is a professional development heart shop for teachers, but then it lands mm -hmm. on you as however, wherever you're at uh, in that. And then I offer, like, if you want to follow up or if you want to have one-on-one -on -one, consultations then i'm here and, and that's how i function <laughs> um but does that make sense yeah absolutely i think so that's that's the um i want to say that's the benefit of metaphors that that anybody can take anything from them but the downfall of it is that it's up to me how specific i want to be about it um and i guess that depends on each scenario um you brought up you brought up the metaphor self-awareness um, as a play on words of self-awareness. Where did that come about? Like, where did self-awareness 
when did self-awareness become such an important part of your life? And when did also the, when did the, the metaphor come into play? These questions are so good. You guys are really good. Uh, <laughs> I, for a minute, I was like, we're going to do a brainstorming session for 10 minutes and then we'll go into an interview. And now I'm like, no, we're not. Um, so we're just, we're just in it now. I guess. <laughs> okay. When did self-awareness come into my life? Um, about, about a year ago, actually, uh, I went through, a um, through a very painful, difficult, challenging time with my own mental health in the last three years. And, and another metaphor that I use is the image of a house and like my house felt like it got destroyed three times. And so I kept thinking like, the more I know how my house is built and how, what I need to do to protect it and keep it grounded, then the more safe and, you know, long-term living I can have in here in here and in here. And that to me is self-awareness. The more I know myself, the more I can, you know, take care of me. And usually uh, or typically in the mental health world, the words of self-care and uh, self-love get thrown out so often that they don't taste like anything anymore. And, or they get so, you know, so overwhelmed with all this empty meaning uh, of like, yeah, go for a run and go drink water and eat like this. And, but what does it really mean to be in here, to be at home with yourself, with your pain, with your trauma, with your history? And that to me is the deeper layer of, can you really know all the parts of you, embrace them and own them? And when I started doing that process for my own life and for my own groundedness, then, then it became more, um, clear to me how maybe I can come up with a with a way of framing it so that it becomes accessible for folks and necessary for them to engage in that process themselves. Yeah. I immediately have two follow-up questions, Jethro. I don't know if you have. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yes, bring Fire. them. This is amazing because Jethro and I have been talking to each other for about four months and all of a sudden to add one person is incredibly exciting because you're speaking on things. I'm not sure if you've listened to our podcast a lot or not. Never. Um, Thanks. But you're speaking on things that are kind of things that we talk about a lot in circles because I think we feel similarly or we are limited by our own worldviews and life experiences and perspectives. Um, so the first follow-up question to what you just said, the eloquent example of the house um, and self-awareness for you, the, the two parts of the question are first, um, what are some, if you feel comfortable sharing, what are some parts of the process that, that you work on that help you identify, um, you know, how to, how to keep your house protected and how to keep yourself metaphorically speaking safe in the home, uh, of your being. And then second, what are some things that you would say that you know about yourself in here and in here that are go beyond just, you know, drink water and go for a run and get enough sleep, things like that. Okay. Let's, let's chop it up into the first. Yeah, the first one is the process. You know, this could be like, if someone is listening, like I'm listening. Yeah. Like me, <laughs> I'm like, I want the answers. Like, what are they? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Josh, I know what you're trying to get at here. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so question is, how do I get to know myself so I can be home in my own life? 
And mm-hmm. I, um, I'm not going to answer that in like a formula of like, here's what you do. One plus two minus no, three. No, 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 but what, but, 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 but it is, I'm saying that because, because such question, which is needed and I'm so grateful for it, is one that I have and that we all have like, tell me please and give me some answers or some light or some guidance around, around how to be here. Right. And, um, and I and then me asking that question throughout my life, it didn't happen in the last three years. It happened when I was growing up in a dysfunctional home and I was a teenager and I went to the library to read self-help books. And it happened when I was also, you know, again, in college, I'm like trying to figure out, like, how do I wrestle with my identity in comparison to my peers? And, you know, throughout our lives, we ask this question, all of us. And, you know, how do I, how am I home and how can I be home? And something that the arts offer to the humanity, I think, is what I call this alternative entrances to our houses. So imagine, you know, a house uh, that has a front door. And to me, the front door is talking. So right now we're talking and that's what we have Mm -hmm. right now. If we were in person, we could be walking or moving or painting or, you know, doing other stuff. But words are also very limited. Uh, but if you were to, if I were to ask you, you know, can you give me a shape with your body of what being lonely feels like, then the body would respond in, in another way, right? And that to me is a back door, like the back door that houses have to enter. Um, or could you play a sound uh, or make a sound with your voice of what grief has felt like when you lost an relationship and you're like, ah, and like, or making some scream or mm-hmm. something, you know, like, so what I'm trying to get at is how we have alternative ways of entering or inner spaces or inner selves. And, uh, and that is so rich of information and wisdom that talk and words are limited to. So when I, when, when I engage in this process of self-awareness throughout my life has been because of the arts and through the arts. Um, so that also relates to spirituality because there are nonverbal ways of praying that a lot of folks don't know about because they're like, oh, our father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that's it. And what happens when you're in the car by yourself crying, uh, wailing, that's also a prayer. And that's also a way of relating to God that has to do with the closet inside your inner house that doesn't get seen by the most of the world. So um, I, I think my approach to this is how could we, I mean, and it's also a question back to all of us, right? Could we and mm-hmm. how do we engage in nonverbal ways that have to do with our inner lives? Could we, could we be conscious of those ways? Um so that we can receive this acknowledge of this revelation, actually self-revelation of who we are um, and who we need to tend to. So um, that has been a big one, the arts, uh, nonverbal ways of expression and connection. And then there's also trauma itself and pain itself that offers information about me. Uh, You know, we learn in pain, but then we also uh, have a, a way of understanding ourselves in pain. And as a therapist and as a clinician, I get the honor of 
witnessing and journeying with people. But then as a client myself, I also get the, the, the privilege of being held by someone that journeys with me. And it is in those intimate relationships of healer and being healed by that, that, that there's also a way of welcoming people into our inner homes um, that can be with us instead of trying to fix us, but can sit with us and stay with us. Um, so that has also, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because there's a huge stigma around mental health, maybe not so much right now because of the pandemic, but the stigma around like, I'm not going to go talk to a stranger about my stuff or I'm not going to, you know, open up to people. And, um, and I think the, the value of vulnerability around someone that can hold and walk with us, that is also revelatory for self-awareness. And then the last thing that I want to say, uh, I, I might be going too long, but cut me off if you. No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, we will not. Okay. <laughs> we will make two, three, four, five episodes. We will not. We will yeah. not cut you off. Oh, you seriously. Guys, <laughs> we'll, we'll even like go and take a like a bathroom break while you keep going, and we'll come back. No, we'll we'll yeah. get lunch too, and we'll have a whole time about it. <laughs> uh, the. The last, uh, the, the last thing I want to just share for now is around. I just, I just uh, talked about allowing people into our, into our vulnerability and like specifically referring to mental health professionals or people that can do that. But then there's also like, uh, you know, friends or like community people in our lives that are like, "Yo, what's up? What's going on?" Or like, and and I think uh, I was still in gender that I, I have like a group that support group that I went, I was part of this morning where I received a ton of jewels around shame or learning this about shame and, and how shame is thrives in isolation and, and how, um, you know, we, we tend to like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not worthy of love or belonging or connection because, because I'm hurting or because I'm going through this or because I'm, you know, navigating that. And, and so that instead of, instead of, you know, making it, making a bridge or anything we shut down i shut down i go into my cave and so then instead of knowing myself i run inside <laughs> um there is a, a beautiful poetic definition of depression that says that it if you break it down is the word depressed can be broken down into deep rest which is a deep rest that we enter into when we're overwhelmed by the weight of our own identity and it sounds super poetic, but uh, and it is, but but that weight crushes and that weight damages, and then there's no knowing of the inner house, but there is just a collapse of the inner house. And um, I think there is value in naming that and in knowing that uh, that we all need each other, which is I think part of the reason why this conversation for me is so beautiful and sacred and. and life-giving because the three of us <laughs> need each other and the world you know is in a time when community is so medicinal so i don't know if i if i'm addressing exactly your questions but like it no just i just want to say thank you journey. i mean <laughs> okay that was I perfect have, i have uh two follow-up thoughts and a follow-up question uh so <laughs> So here we go. And let's see if I remember them as we progress. But the first thing I wanted to say was you said something about healing and being healed and kind of that duality. Um, and 
I think something that I heard, I think uh, it might have been a year and a half ago, uh, was a similar phrase. It was behold and beheld. Um, and I thought that was just a really fun, we would call it a platitude, of course, but it's a fun way to kind of say, yeah, like lift up the other people around you, behold them, but also allow yourself to be held. And then I think if you look at the great Christian figure, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I think he served so many people around him, but he also allowed himself to be healed and filled. And he kind of taught us that it's a give and a take. Even if he was 100% God, he still did the give and the take. He still cried when Lazarus was dead. He still wept when he felt alone. Um, and so to be vulnerable around his people still is a really raw thing. I mean, he was literally crying on the cross, screaming, um, God, why have you forgotten me in front of everybody? I mean, he was being, he was praying out loud, vulnerably in front of everybody. And in that moment, everybody kind of held him. Um, we still hold it every single time it happens during church. We sit there quietly for a while. Anyways, that was the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing I wanted to say is, I think it's so beautiful that shame, guilt, anger, frustration, traditionally very negative emotions, or we would we would kind of associate negativity with that emotion. Um, but here you are, you're saying, yeah, you feel guilt, you feel shame, um, you feel it, but it also informs you of something about yourself. Um, and that becomes a deeper reflection. So I have learned recently the difference between feeling your emotions and then reflecting on them versus intellectualizing your emotions. And a lot of times I will intellectualize my emotions, which is like, observe it from a distance, understand why I'm feeling it, how I'm feeling it, what it means, but never actually feel it. And then I'm still holding on to the feeling part and I don't realize it. Um, but it's feeling the shame, feeling the guilt, feeling the joy, the happiness, whatever feeling, just actually feeling it and being in the moment. And then afterwards kind of looking at it um, and going, okay, what does that inform about me? So I think that was just a really cool thing that I learned or was reminded of from what you were just saying. And then my question is with the whole, I guess, tangibleness of it. Because one of the issues with metaphors is that they're really abstract and it takes time to kind of distill the information to turn it into action. And a lot of times you get stuck at the story or the metaphor and it sounds pretty and it sounds beautiful. But how exactly do you behold and be held? How exactly um, do you pursue any of these sorts of understanding and you said that you kind of turned it into your life, that therapy is just how you live your life almost, expressive arts. And I know you talked about, you know, nonverbal communication, um, addressing trauma. But like if I'm waking up and, you know, I'm drinking that water and I'm working out and I'm eating healthy and I'm doing all of these habits and these things that I have been told to make me feel better and I still feel depressed. I still feel anxious. I still feel like I don't understand myself. How do I, what do I do to get to know myself better in a, just a very simple way? Cause when I'm, if I'm having, if I'm really sad or feel really guilty, I'm not in the moment like going, yes, I can, I can figure out this will tell me about myself. I mean, I'm in the throes of that whole thing. And so how would you get to know yourself better yes there it is there's the question <laughs> i love it um okay 
Thank you, first of all, for your uh, comment about about um, about the about feelings and about uh, how we need each other. I want to name the value of solitude as well, uh, and how yes, we need each other, and yes, we need community, and yes, that's part of healing and getting to know ourselves, and the value of being alone in a, according to a you know in a healthy uh, environment circumstances of just having, like you said, when after communion, we're taking our own alone time with God. Um, that, that to me has a huge value into the great, who am I in front of God? Who am I with God? Who am I within God? Um, who am I in relation to that community that can heal me? Who am I into that? Those moments of aloneness, but then the questions alone can not just be thoughts because then, <laughs> then it's just thoughts, uh, which then to your question, as far as what else can I do besides the regular actions, my uh, therapist <laughs> gave me this teaching of how thoughts move at the speed of light, emotions move at the speed of sound, and our bodies move at the speed of a donkey. And so we are like... It's a big jump. Yeah, it's, it's, a, a, big jump. it's a big jump. <laughs> it's a huge jump. And it's so true. Like, we are here talking all these cool words. We could be feeling all these feelings. And then in a roller coaster of feelings, right? 20 seconds ago, it was a different feeling. And then our bodies that are in the static positions right now because of the circumstances... They're like digesting something that's happening. And then two hours later, the body it needs a nap or it's hungry or is like needing energy. Like there's a whole, and again, we go back to the nonverbal primal ways of being. So you could be drinking water, exercising, reading, doing your thing, but what does your body really need? Um, and so I'm going to give a specific example. Like I, I was, um, I was therapizing someone, being at work, you know, listening to them, being attentive to them. And, uh, and, and it was really good, really juicy. They left. But something happened in the session that was a bit, you know, triggering for me. I felt it. Okay, that was a feeling. It, it, I noticed it. Or according to Buddhism, I, the cloud went by uh, with that. And then the situation, you know, moved on. Four hours later, then I start feeling like, this bubbling up in my chest and then I start crying and, and I go to my car and I start wailing. Like my body, my, my donkey caught up with me <laughs> and my donkey needed attention. My donkey had this frosted tears that needed defrosting. And so now with your, your question as to like, what can I do to get to know myself in concrete ways? See if you can engage with your body in nonverbal ways uh, so to attend to what does this body need? It is not exercise as to like go lift up some weights. It's like, do I need a hug? Do I need uh do I need to pay attention to to like to the tears that maybe need to come out right now? Do I need to go for a walk? Do I need to break a bunch of stuff right now to release rage that I've built up over time? Do I need so those are ways that the donkey can receive attention um, instead of like all these thoughts that are going around what we should do or what we should feel or what, what we are feeling. Um, 
What does the body, how do we translate that to the body? And that applies differently for each person because we all have different bodies. So um, that's where the cookie size question of, or, or even the answers of self-care falls short. Because not all, yeah. of us, not all of us need the gym. Not all of us need, uh, you know, a walk. In fact, um, while I'm at it, one of my personal, current personal prayer forms is to crawl into a fetal position and wrap myself into a blanket and close it all off and feel really tight and imagine or feel or, 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 or um, connect to the womb of God with my body crawled up into a super tight fetal position. And I stay in that position for hours. And <laughs> that's what helps me nowadays to rewire and, and feel reconnected. But maybe that doesn't work for Josh. Maybe Josh needs something else and, and you need something else. Jeff, right? so, so again, like how can we unplug, tune in, whatever we need to do uh, so that the body has the tending that it's asking. I read a book recently called The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. It's like, it's like the big book to read to really understand complex PTSD specifically. Um, but I think everyone can use it and benefit to understand why we react to certain things the way that we do. And everyone is different because of how they were raised or the circumstances that they were brought up in to react to certain things in ways that other people won't. Certain things will be triggering to one person where one person will look at that and go, I don't understand what it, the, the fear is. And it's because of different exposures to certain things. And that's it, that's really the basis of trauma, what it was trying to explain, that a lot of reactions that come afterwards are... Um, oh no, I'm going to lose my train of thought right now, right here, because thoughts move at the speed of light. Right. And so I got to, and my, my body only moves at the speed of a donkey. So the words that are coming out of my mouth are way slower than where my thoughts are. What did I just say? Body keeps the score, but it's different trauma. Yeah. It is, is, um, nope. No, I got it. I got it. Breathe, breathe. But one of the things from the book, because obviously it was a lot of science, but then it was it it was ways to to solve it. And obviously one of the ways is talk therapy. But the thing that they recommended the most, strangely enough, well, it was strange at the time, but I understand it better now, is yoga. Um, that yoga is is a really interesting. Oh, I want to hear what you think about this. <laughs> but yoga is a, apparently a really interesting way to tend to your body because it's what you put yourself into different positions that you might not, you might need or not need. And uh, it's a way to kind of listen to your body in each part of it. Um, so, I mean, that's what I learned from the book, but you shook your head. Like you were like not into yoga. So not at all, but, but I'll <laughs> let you finish. No, I, that's pretty much what I was saying is that, Yoga is a very physical inter you you can only really focus on your body, which means you're hyper aware of what the body is. Um and and now you can listen to it better. Is is the is the the mindset behind it. I've never done yoga, so I'm not saying that it worked for me and that's how I'm better, but I'm curious to what you think after that reaction. I, I'm trying to keep my composure and to keep a straight face and not have a physical somatic <laughs> reaction. You don't have to. You don't have to keep a straight face and keep your composure. No. Um, no, I just had a respect of, you know, that's what the book said. And good. 
Well, I'm making this reaction because because it opens up a whole other vault around spiritual warfare and around our bodies being the expression of the invisible, you know, as, as John Paul said in Theology of the Body, and how our bodies, as, as cre- creations of God, um, not only express the invisible, but, but reveal, you know, and, and the spirit. And um, I... I can respect and I study different traditions and, and I can respect the, the wisdom and the richness in all of them. Um, and I think um, the best way for me to, to explain myself is to use the metaphor of the house again as to if my house right now is um, uh, wired up, you know, in its, in a circuitry and plumbery and foundation, uh, with a certain belief system, in my case, Catholicism, um, I can look up from this house to other houses and know that they are wired, you know, according to other things. But I, but I need to understand before I leave Catholicism or before I leave my house, I need to understand what what the other houses are offering. And yoga is a Hindu uh, practice that has its own richness and super rich, super intense uh value as to what the you know gods and goddesses revealed in each posture the thing about that is that for somebody who doesn't know i'm just naming in general for somebody who doesn't know what each pose reveals and what each pose connects to and what to which deity and to which you know thing and then that brings up a whole other and and look at your mouth jethro and that opens up a whole other vault of is spiritual warfare, which I have lived. And so people say like, you're taking it too far. You're an extremist. You, it's just uh, putting my leg over here. I'm just doing the dog pose. I'm like, how am I calling any dietists around here? So again, this is one of those conversations where it's really important to, to know and to speak only from our own experience. And for me, I have been involved in other traditions that have harmed me because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so when I hear like, that's the yoga being the only way or like the way to connect to the body, I, I, I take that with a grain of salt of, I let that to somebody who's aware of who, who's rooted in Hinduism and whose house is wired in Hinduism and they live that and they know that and they embody that that's their house. Um, does that make sense? So I think that the value that I take from that is the consciousness, the awareness that, yes, I can pay attention to every muscle in my body and I can have prayer forms, actually, that don't have to be specific to a specific deity that is not in my wiring circuit. Um, But that's just the way that I function. Yeah. (laughs) And I know there's a lot to unpack with that. There was also a flurry of questions that just came in my head and we're not going to get through any of them. So I'm just going to kind of hold it just because I'm being cognizant of time. And obviously that means, you know, future conversation um, because geez, there's like seven that are there. There are seven thoughts there. Um, But I think one quick thing I want to say is something that Josh and I really grappled with. I mean, still grapple with, but the difference between, I don't know if we've ever spoken about this explicitly, but I feel it. So if I'm wrong, Josh, you better tell me like the, the, the line between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. At what point are you appreciating culture and at what point are you appropriating it? I mean, I think the line is so slim um, that it's very difficult in the constant conversation 
Um, especially when you think about, um, I guess, discrimination that is multidimensional. You know, you don't want to step on the toes of other groups fighting for their rights in a certain way. And so if you, it, it, it becomes a really delicate balance. And so that was the first thought. The second thing, I'm only going to do two thoughts, Josh. I, there, man, that was a crazy thing is I, I'm not, Josh and I are never here to uh, typically just outright agree or disagree with a statement that we have never, I don't know about you, Josh, but that is a very unique take to yoga that I have not heard in my lifetime. And I am surrounded by a lot of people who are very curious in other religions um, and also want to learn and appreciate other forms of prayer, I guess. Um, and I guess I just am in the group of people that normally say, oh, you know, it's you can pray any way you want. You can take from other religions and it's fine. It's appreciating them. And here you are saying, well, that's not our house. That's not ours. Why, that, why would I need to do that? Why should I do that when I don't fully understand it? Um, and I just think, you know, it's another thing to juggle and think about before doing anything. I think, Josh, by the end of Upward Together, you and I are going to be immobilized and not do a single thing because every single way no, of life no, is no, about no. it. But I, I think, <clears throat> no, I think, no, no, no. But I think in uh, the question that I have for you to kind of summarize it is what are, and I think Catholics need to be better about this. But what are Catholic physical actions? Because um, I think if you ask any sort of passive Catholic, they'd be like, yeah, we just sit, kneel, stand, and then we kneel when we pray, but that's it. Like, we don't really do anything that involves a lot of physical movement. So I was wondering, you know, what tools do we have as Catholics to incorporate that physical sort of prayer that? tends to exist in other faiths. Who are you talking to? Are you asking one of you, us? I guess that, that's an open question to both. I don't really have a oh, big okay. answer to that. But well, I, I want to clarify this statement you made that I, but by the end you're going to be immobilized because of what I just said. And and I, I that's not, <laughs> that's not what I meant to project that, <laughs> that you should be mobilized because you're in this house and the other houses are, we don't know them. Uh, that's just my experience. And uh, and I, I'm happy to share more whenever about what my experience was when I ventured into many houses of many traditions. Um, so I wanted to put that out there. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that clarification. Do you have a do you have like an answer of like how much is too much when venturing into a different sort of spirituality? And that's probably a conversation for another time. But I am always curious is like when is curiosity too much? When should we stop asking yeah. questions? Uh so again from from what I have lived um and have felt uh harmed really bad because of my curiosity or exploration uh, but that went too far with spirituality. It taught me that I, I want to get to know my house really well um, where I'm at. And from this house, I can open the window and get to know what other people are. And the metaphor keeps going around because of, you know, being Catholic has this whole um, 
I don't want to call it stigma, but like very limited point of view from most people. Like, yeah, like what you said, you go to mass, you kneel, you bend, you, uh, you know, uh, make these motions and that's it. You eat Jesus. Okay. That's enough physicality. But in my experience, as I continue to deepen into what it's like to be here and I'm pointing to myself, um, with this, with this tradition of Catholicism, there is a contemplative aspect of, uh, of Catholicism that, that is incredibly rich around the body uh, and around nonverbal ways of connecting to God in creation, in nature. Um, that most people think like, wow, you're, you're Catholic and you hike and you do this and you like go on labyrinths and you, you know, the walking meditations and you, yeah, there's a redefinition of meditation that I can embody in my muscles and the whole crawling into a fetal shape or the whole, you know, prostrating myself or doing different things like with my body. Those are forms of prayer that in contemplative practices are, um, uh, are, are not so talked about. And I think it, it would be super rich to have a space to uh, explore them. Yeah. That's cool. Josh, any last questions, words before we close here? No, I was, I was going to just say a similar thing. Um, I recently read Richard Rohr, uh, just this. And one of the things he talks about is, um, a form of meditation where you do exactly focus on a specific part of your body. I think in that exercise, it's in stillness, not in movement, but um, to basically focus on, and he talks about focusing on anything below your neck. So not in your head space where your thoughts are moving at lightning speed, but feeling for your heartbeat or even trying to feel your heartbeat in different parts of your body. So in your arm, in your little toe, um, and recognizing the unity with God in your entire being. So in any part of you that you're feeling, um, that, that there is God there. And in that stillness, recognizing you're, you are connected to God and, and therefore connected to everything. Um, that, that was when you, when you were asking about movement, that's, uh, not necessarily movement, but I would also say singing. I mean, I think, I think there's also a rich tradition of um, Catholic music and uh, I think song and, you know, it can be also nonverbal humming, chanting, anything that deals with vibration, um, physical vibration can also help with, with grounding and, and feeling connected in your own body. Totally. Yeah, that's yeah. all. That's all. I Thank have. you for sharing. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Kiona, typically we close with a classic Josh Morgan Lander phrase. Before we do that, is there anything you would like to close with or say um, to anybody listening? I'm. Uh, I'm just so grateful that that to have this space to 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 connect, to be heard, to to. Um, I think more than anything to just get to know each other. I think there's a richness in what each person lives that, um, that, that is super important to have moments where we, Oh, what have you lived and what are you knowing? Uh, and I feel so honored that you are taking this time to want to know about my experience. And, and if it's helpful for anybody, then praise be to God. If, and, and if it confused anybody, I hope it didn't. Um, but 
the intention here is to just, yeah, learn from one another and grow together. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, everyone, for stopping by. And Josh, take it away. <laughs> love, love, everyone. See you guys next week. Thank you all for listening each week. It would mean a lot to us if you left a rating and review, as well as recommend the podcast to people you know. Your feedback helps us improve, allowing more people to find this podcast and muse along with us. If our conversation gave something to you, maybe it will give something to someone else. It sure gives something to us. See you all next time.